0: Everybody, welcome to another edition of From the Other Sideline. Super special guest today. Very excited to have. I mean, if not the voice of college basketball, at the very least, the voice of the Big Twelve. The coach, Fran Faschella, one of one of the premier experts on uh, college basketball, and especially Big Twelve basketball. Fran, thanks so much for for taking some time and joining me today.
1: Yeah, Melissa, it's my pleasure. Anytime we can talk Big Twelve basketball, I'm I'm in. So I'm I'm excited to be here.
0: Well, you know, I think every year the narrative is the Big 12 is one of, if not the best conference in college basketball, but it seems this year it's especially true. Uh, any given night is kind of a cliche, but we have seen some insane upsets. We've seen some crazy comebacks and we've seen some teams kind of get it together at the right time. It's, it's it's all of the basketball cliches, but but is this one of the better years of Big 12 basketball that you've seen?
1: Yeah, without a doubt. And I've seen a few of them, as you know, you know, going back to like 2003 or four Um, And the interesting thing about the big 12 is if I'm a big Ken Pomeroy, Ken Palm analytics Mm -hmm. numbers. And for the last decade, it's either been one or two, the best conference. And more often than not, it's the best conference. But this year, if you look at the numbers, it's not even close. There is such a wide gap between the big 12 and then the next four or five power conferences. And it doesn't mean that there aren't great teams everywhere. There are, we know that, but what separates the big 12 this year, as you know, you know, you use the word, there's been some upsets. I kind of almost think that there's no upsets in this league. It's true. It, it's crazy because we all, we love upsets. But when you look at the fact that eight different teams in the big 12 have had a three game losing streak yeah. and then a team that's tied for last Texas tech has three top 15 wins. It just goes to show you that I think, I think the weird, the way we would describe it is from one to 10, there's there's not much difference this year, which is unlike any other league in America, because you're going to have your haves and have nots. And this league looks like it has some have nots. But on but realistically, there's there's 10 good there's 10 very good teams in this league. There's no question.
0: Well, I think it's one of those things when you look at the football season, people say that parity and that balance is a negative. But when you look at the basketball season, it's such a positive because it's not like all of these teams are beating up on each other because they're equally as mediocre right. and they're all as equally talented and good. I saw a stat on Twitter the other day. I think Oklahoma has four quad one wins, which is more than like the top four teams combined or something. Yeah. yeah. And so, so there really isn't, I mean, theoretically, you could have ten teams make the the NCAA tournament. I don't think we'll see that happen. Right, but but it's certainly you wouldn't want to bet against any of them that they got into the Big Dance at that. That's point. exactly
1: right. No, you hit it on the head. I, I I saw another Twitter stat yesterday. You know, I get all my information from Twitter. Don't, uh, don't we all? Yeah, the big the Big Twelve has only four out of no, excuse me. They had the Big Twelve has ten non conference losses, and I think the SEC had fifty, and everybody else has. A similar amount and we knew in december you know like even even when tcu lost to northwestern state we know that was kind of an aberration because there was no miles no damian maw that's the worst loss of the year but there's only been 10 of those and that loss is obviously mitigated by the fact that the the, the frogs were out there backcourt so um yeah like i honestly think that every one of these teams if they got into the ncaa tournament could win at least a game And Oklahoma who probably right now is on the outside looking in has proven that with a 24 point win over number one, Alabama. But I I think the beauty of this league is that first of all, no team stays the same from November to March Mm -hmm. and a great example. We're probably going to get into this, but I feel so bad for Jamie Dixon and the team right now because they're without Pat Mahomes, you know, I mean, they basically they're Pat Mahomes. Hopefully is back in the lineup Saturday and I know, and you know that that when TCU is full and whole, that they could get to a Final Four. And I think you could say that about five or six of the teams in this league. Um, K State uh, hit a bump, and now they're gonna they're gonna come home on Saturday against I. It's just crazy. Like there's you. Ju- I just know this. I, I'm saying a lot, but all I know is I can't wait for Kansas City. Yeah. Right. I, I can't wait for the tournament because it, it doesn't matter Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. It's gonna be madness.
0: Oh, it's going to be an amazing couple of days of basketball. Uh, you talked about teams that are kind of coming into their own, and obviously, want to spend a lot of time on on PC. But I'd be remiss not to bring up Baylor and what they've been doing over the last two weeks. When yes. you know the, the the another cliche is the veteran guard play in March, right? Well, yeah. Baylor has these; they have this veteran guard, but then they also have this super young superstar. Unfortunately, for the rest of the conference, it looks like Keontae uh, George is starting to really figure it out. They yeah. they have to be considered one of the favorites to to win it all in Kansas City, right?
1: Oh, well, and I think one of the favorites to win it all, you know, because yeah. uh, because we have like 15 or 20 teams, I think, in college hoops this year. I don't think there's a great team. I think there's a lot of very good teams, primarily, by the way, because of the, the COVID extra year and the transfer portal. Uh, teams have gotten mm-hmm. good quickly. But when um, you know, when we watched Baylor play TCU last Saturday, uh, I would have given uh, with 10 minutes to go, I would have said it's it's over, you know. And why did why did TCU lose? Well, because Baylor had Adam Flagler,
0: yeah,
1: and and Adam made shots that were incredible shots. And wasn't my good friend Scott Drew? They're all good friends of mine, by the way. Um, it wasn't like he 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 had some magical plays that he ran to get these guys shots. It's just that they have they have a couple great one on one players, and so when you add and by the way you add everyday John back now, yeah, uh, you know who's who's starting to get better each game out. And now there's a little bit more defensive presence on the front line. Um, they, they're, they you know, they're capable of not only winning, obviously, the Big 12 tournament, but getting to a final four. And uh, but again, you could say that about five or six teams in this league, at least.
0: Well, and and Baylor does also have that championship pedigree. A lot of those guys yes. have been there before. The, the lights of March aren't going to be too bright. Um, Before we drill into TCU, you mentioned about the 15 to 20 teams. There's two teams that that I've caught a lot of because they've had the national spotlight that I have, I have some questions about, and that's Purdue and Alabama. And we've seen Alabama be really, really good. And then we've seen Alabama get absolutely rolled in Norman and Purdue to me has got to be the most fascinating team in, in college basketball because there's not another player like Zach ED anywhere in America right now right. and his journey and, and and the way that he's developed over the last couple of years. Do you look at, at those two teams as, as two of the biggest threats to make a run? Or, or where do you kind of see those perceived weaknesses from the outside?
1: Well I i think the way I would put it, and I, I mentioned that there were 15 or so teams, maybe a few more that could win it all. Every one of those teams has flaws, every single one of them. There's no super team, you know, I can't even think, you know, I, I think the closest thing to a dominant team really was probably the Baylor team in 21. I mean, pretty much blew through the season. They did get hit with COVID as you remember, but yeah. um, I think they were, I think they were 18 and zero, or uh, when they lost to Kansas or 19 and zero. but they were rolling. That's, that's a, that was a dominant team. You knew all year that they were probably the favorite and they ended up oh, in Gonzaga that year.
0: Yeah. Cause Gonzaga yeah. was
1: undefeated. I, I can't, they, in fact, you know, we all thought Gonzaga might go undefeated and then Baylor put that to rest. But this year, they all have flaws. So taking both teams, and I've seen both, Alabama is really talented. Most of their better talent is in the freshman class. And Brandon Miller, Clowney, uh, the guard, Jaden Bradley, um, they have some veterans that are very good too. But I worry about their young guys in an NCAA tournament environment. Uh, But they're still great players and very capable of going deep into the tournament. Purdue, great coach. By the way, one of our best coaches in the country and also probably the best coach that hasn't been to a final four yet, mm. which I know we do that in the NFL. We do that in college football, college basketball, but Zach Edie's the player of the year as I think we've all said it. I'm, I'm not, I think right now he's going to be the player of the year in college basketball. They have young guards. And when they went to Northwestern last Sunday, I think they shot five for 22 from three. So if you can contain Zach Eadie and then hope those young guards, you know, get flustered a little bit, they can get beat, uh, but they're no different than any one of 15 teams that I think can go to the Final Four in Houston and win it all.
0: And there's going to be a lot of teams that can't contain Zach Eadie in that type of environment, especially right. when you look at the early rounds. Uh, you know, it's probably the the number one overall seed can be my guess if they blow through the Big Ten tournament, like I think most people expect. Yeah. Um, all right. Let's get into TCU. You mentioned you said, you feel bad? Uh, I think everybody's feeling bad. You know, it, it wasn't that long ago that TC was ranked 11; They were on the verge of a, of a top 10 ranking. And then you see Mike Miles go out against Mississippi state. You see, um, you know, Eddie Lampkin the week before get, get dinged up against Kansas. And this team is a very different group without those two players on the floor and, and reasonably. Yeah. So um, personally, someone's followed the program so closely for so long. I've been shocked at how, much they've struggled in the half-court offense without Mike Miles. I thought because they are such a veteran group, they'd be able to get it going on offense. But we're recording this Thursday morning. We saw them struggle to 59 points against a very good Iowa State team
1: yes. Wednesday yes.
0: night. But yes. but what, what have you seen as kind of the the biggest thing that's missing without Mike and, and Eddie on the floor, their normal loads well, at the very least?
1: First of all, let me explain to you, especially in this league, the psychology of the schedule, okay? Okay. Because, you know, three, you know, a peacock today, feather duster tomorrow, you know, and and that's TCU right now. Um, and because of the injuries last night, Iowa State, who like TCU and K-State, has struggled a little bit. Um, they were desperate to win at home. And yeah. and so I expected them to play well and win. And, uh, you know, TCU actually kept trying to get back into it and, and give them credit for that. Uh, this this is purely a case of not having Pat Mahomes. Uh, not having Bryce Young, if you're Alabama, not having, not having Sam Duggan. Um, they, this is the best fast break team in the country. Um, 20, 21 points a game in the fast break and nobody else is close. Yeah. And a lot of it is because they have one of the fastest players in the mm-hmm. country who, by the way, as you and I both know, preseason big 12 player of the year. And so when you take that level of talent out, along with the size of Eddie Lampkin, it's devastating. Um They don't have, uh, although they have a lot of really good pieces and uh, guys that fit perfectly into their role when Mike is on the court, it's not a team that you can take the catalyst out and think that you can make up for Mike, just like you can't make up for Pat Mahomes or Sam Duggan. So the biggest worry for me is not that they won't get healthy soon, because hopefully Mike's back on Saturday. And then, of course, we'll be in town on Monday for Kansas the biggest worry for me is psychologically where their heads are at after three weeks of losing, because we know that the team that's fully healthy is the same team that blew out Kansas, the same team that has played really hard all year, the same team that gets up and down, same team that scored 88 on Baylor and Mike had 33, a career high. And so that's my main concern. If they get healthy and their minds get right again, the psychology of the schedule I think they can make a run down a stretch of the regular season and very capable, not only of winning the big 12 tournament, which is going to be hard this year because so sure. much balance, but they could get to a sweet 16 or a elite eight, or maybe a final four. If everything is right, that's how good they are. But right now it's gotta be, it's, I know I've lived this. This is hard to come to practice right now, knowing, you know, we don't have our Pat Mahomes, so to speak. And I, I hope TCU fans don't mind that I use a Texas Tech reference, but it's more of a Chiefs Super Bowl reference.
0: Yeah, yeah. I I think we all I think we all uh, don't mind the comparison because you're comparing Mike Miles to Pat Mahomes. Yeah, that's pretty TCU good by the way. Texas Tech. Yeah, that's not that's not a bad place to be. Well, and it, and it's, I think it's an apt comparison too because it's not just what Mike can do as an individual player. It's the way that he directs the offense as yes. a whole, and and when you're a team that likes to get out and run, it's it's not like Pat Mahomes at Texas Tech because they couldn't win. It is like Pat Mahomes at Kansas City; they're you never know, out of a ball game. Yeah, you know, it's, it's, they it's, can always come back. I
1: grew I grew up in New York City. I didn't get into a lot of fights, I promise. But if you're in a if you're in an alley fight and you have Lou Ferrigno with you, you know the yeah. Incredible Hulk.
0: Lou Ferrigno, yeah, you, you know,
1: as a name out of the past. Uh, but you know the Incredible Hulk, you're going to feel pretty good about that alley fight, you know. Yeah. And when you don't have Mike out there, it's really like not, you know, it's like, you know, he's, he's your guy and the, and the players know it too, you know, and they look over him in street clothes and they're trying hard and they're, they're well coached. But now, yeah. And again, they probably could get away with winning some games in a different league. Yeah. You know, they, they, they should have beat Mississippi state on the road without Mike essentially and took that team to overtime and that team, you know, that team's in the middle of the pack in the sec. So, the, the sad part about not having Mike is not so much that they're, they're struggling is that they're struggling in the best league in the country.
0: Yeah. And I think it's going to be interesting too. And this is something that, that was a question of me last night during the game is, is how quickly is Mike going to be able to assimilate back? I mean, you've coached the game, I've coached the game, you know that those star players you can drop them in and they can still be themselves, but getting that back into the flow of the game, especially yeah. when your first game back is going to be against a, a great opponent. Uh, Do you think there's going to be a a lot of time to really kind of get things back rolling or do you think Mike can kind of drop in if he plays Saturday and and get this team back on track?
1: I'd like to have the expert answer for you, but it's the same, it's the same question that Jamie Dixon and the staff have right now. And it's just, we don't know because basketball is such a chemistry sport. Yeah. You know what I mean? And obviously Mike's chemistry when, when he's healthy and he's been out of practice has been great, but, and I know they want him back and I know he's going to play Saturday if he's healthy, and they're not going to worry about chemistry, right? But so what they yeah. have to do is figure out how to get the chemistry flowing again on the fly. You know, so much of coaching in February. You know, someone said this to me the other day. I've never heard this in my whole career. February, in basketball, February February is the shortest month. And it's also the longest month. Yeah. And true. for TCU right now, it's the longest month. And for other teams, it's the longest month. and And for everybody, it's the longest month because you've been through the grind of three months of college basketball. And you're looking towards March, and the tournament and so yeah, i'm as fascinated by your question and as and i don't have a great answer as uh everybody else will be once he comes back and i it's going to be hopefully hopefully he's back saturday and he's playing well and then monday night in uh, in the arena schulmeyer we're gonna have a barn burner
0: yeah it, it'd be a lot of fun just to because i think that the environment around tc basketball i mean from from when i was a student I, I I watched them play in that high school gym for a couple of years because yes. I was local. I, it, yep. It's been one of the most amazing parts of this turnaround under Jamie Dixon. It isn't just what the team has done on the court, but the way the university has rallied around them. I mean, it's really hard to carry over that excitement after the football season that TCU had yes. into the basketball arena, and then you see them lose a couple of winnable game or well one winnable game yeah. here early, but the momentum yeah. has really stayed. As someone who spent a lot of time in that, in that arena, what have you been kind of most impressed by or most struck by with how the TC basketball fan environment has changed?
1: It's great. You know, I mean, I've, I've lived in Dallas for 19 years, you know, over on the other side of town, uh, you know, Dallas-Fort Worth, obviously, lived over on the other side of town by SMU. Uh, I had two sons that went to high school with many, many kids who came over to TCU it's one of the great universities in the country. I, I met a, I met a firefighter whose daughter was from Long Island, New York should have heard his accent. And he was, they were, they were visiting campus on uh, Saturday uh, when last Saturday, when Baylor was in town, I saw his shirt and I said, are you from New York? He said, yes. And I said, which, what do you, you do? And he told me about his daughter and I said, she would love it here. You know, it's a great university. Uh, it's been extremely popular recently. Uh, uh, sports teams got to give, Gary Patterson credit, you know, uh, that football team helped get them into the big 12. Mm-hmm. Uh, the campus is gorgeous. The academics are great. And the environment in, uh, in Schoelmeyer is, uh, is really good right now. And you and I both remember the late nineties, early two thousands, when it was a, let's face it, a dated building. Yeah. And now it's a beautiful building. I mean, the facilities all over the, the campus academic buildings, it, it's a great place and uh, basketball, like I, like we say about, um, other sports at TCU it's the front porch of the house it's not the most important part of the house but it's the part people see first and so when you take in a football game or a basketball game or go to a baseball game in the spring uh, women's sports it's it's fabulous and uh, the the fan the fan uh, I still love that big Jamie Dixon thing in the yeah end zone, you know it's I always get a so kick good. out of that but it's a great environment now it, it, it fits the big 12 perfectly
0: Well, I like that comparison when you called basketball the front porch, because I think we think of football, obviously, is the big, you know, the big overriding thing. But at the end of the day, basketball is where you get the most exposure. You're only playing, you know, 13, 12, 13 football games a year. But basketball, especially with the ESPN Plus deal, you could watch every single TCU basketball game, every single Big 12 basketball game. And so that's a lot of people's introduction. And it was such an anchor
1: for the university
0: as a whole for so long. What what have you been most, you know, as you've kind of watched this journey up close, what have you been yeah. just most impressed by Jamie Dixon? And it wasn't an immediate, it wasn't an overnight turnaround, but the way that he's really kind of built this program from the foundation up while also utilizing the transfer portal and some of the other tools that are available to coaches today.
1: Yeah. Well, I'm going to give you a little secret. I've known Jamie about 20 years and uh, every now and then when I was doing a big 12 and he was at Pittsburgh, he'd say, what's going on at TCU? You know, how they doing, mm-hmm. you know? And uh, they were in the Mountain West, or they were in the—I think the old Metro or Great Midwest. I don't know. I remember when Louisville used to come? The there WAC,
0: wasn't... the CU, yeah, WAC exactly. USA, you you, you yeah, remember Southwest, it? You ball, know, yeah, Lee, Na- it Lee
1: Malon. yeah, you know.
0: Oh Lee, yeah, I, I was—I was classmates with Lee.
1: So, yeah, yeah, Billy was... Tubbs, and you know, yep. and, and so. But when they went to the Big Twelve, I think it really perked Jamie's interest up in that. If I, if he could ever come home, if the situation was right, that it might be a good. Move And, uh, you know, at Pittsburgh, to be honest, once they left the Big East and went to the ACC, they kind of lost their identity to Madison Square Garden, recruiting New York and New Jersey, which Jamie had so much success. And so it was a p- perfect confluence of events for him to come back to his alma mater. Um, he's a, he, well, Let's face it, he's a perfect fit. Um, and he's not only a perfect fit because he played and was a two-time Southwest Conference champion but he's just the kind of person that fits the university. His kids are good guys. Um, you know, there's no nonsense. You don't hear about them getting in trouble very often. Um, I remember, I think Desmond Bain, I'll say this, because I got to know Desmond his freshman year and we've remained good friends. Desmond Bain might be the best human being I've ever met.
0: Mm-hmm. You know, and, if
1: he, and if he's not, if he's not, he's in the top 10.
0: And yeah, so totally when agree. you have
1: those, yeah, when you have those kind of people, you know, Mike's quiet nature, but you know, he's a good kid. You know, Micah Peavy's is a good kid. You just go down the line, you know, Eddie Lampkin's big smile. Um, you just, you, they just are great representatives of the university and that they're easy to root for. I think that's where it really, to answer your question in a long winded way, Jamie Dixon's has not only brought back his coaching expertise, but he's brought back a love of the university and he's not going to let any of those players do anything, I think, to harm the love of the university. Mm-hmm. And we know guys get in trouble on occasion, sure. but for the most part, I think they've really handled themselves as good, good people on campus and they embrace the TCU spirit. That's the best way to put it.
0: And it's been awesome to see some of those guys graduate uh, that have developed under JB. You, you know, you mentioned Desmond Bain, obviously, and, and such a great representative of TCU, you know, out in the NBA. Now you've got uh, Kenny Hustle, Kendrick Williams, who, who really yeah. um, be, became a star when Jamie Dixon got to town, and then RJ Nemhard, too, who you know, who is a part of that Cavaliers organization, and they're having yes. such a great season. They carry themselves with the type of professionalism and the type of, of grace and class that you would want to have that TCU name attached to. And, and that, like, I think, is a, is a great point of what Jamie Dixon means to TCU and TCU basketball beyond yeah. just getting this program back into the wing column. Um, we've talked about Mike, we've talked about Eddie, and obviously, those are the big names. Who's one guy that you think really needs to kind of step up and, and take a step forward for TC to be successful down this home stretch of the regular season into the big 12 tournament and the NCAA tournament.
1: Well, they've got a lot of really good role players. I mentioned Micah Peavy, uh, Xavier Cork is a terrific role player better than people think. Yeah. And I think, I think because of the recent uh, slump, if you will, I think it's Damian Ball. And the reason I say that is because I love co-pilots in basketball. I love two guys that can handle the ball. You know, I always jokingly say, if Melissa, if you were getting on a flight from Dallas to Paris right now and it was only one pilot, you would not get on that plane. <laughs> <You know? laughs> Probably not. No, yeah. No, I don't know. Paris do
0: does sound really nice right now, but I don't know if it's a risk I'm willing to take. No,
1: no, you wouldn't. You know, you do you worry about the pilot having a heart attack, right? And then but uh God forbid. Uh but uh no, I think it's the same way with co-pilots in basketball. And I think when Mike comes back, takes a little bit more pressure off of Damien, who is a terrific player. Um But I think he's tried, in my opinion, as an analyst, so hard to keep the ship afloat. Um, And it's not easy because, again, what Mike's value to the team is. So I think Damien's going to get back into a comfortable spot with Mike back. And I expect him to play really well the last three weeks of the season, you know, on into the tournament. But that's the guy that I think will pick his game back up when Mike gets back, honestly.
0: I think that's a great point. You know, we look at Wednesday night um, up and aimed. And Mike had a great game. Um, you know, he's really done a great job kind of filling the role. But, but I think we've seen Emmanuel Miller and Damian Baugh really suffer without the threat of Mike Miles on the floor and without Eddie Lampkin kind of there to, to draw the attention. I mean, Iowa State clogs the paint in a way that you yeah. can do when you are a terrible three-point shooting team, which TCU Correct. is, and when you only have one real threat to drive. And, and I mean, give credit to, to Hada Wells, who I think has stepped up from a scoring output. But, yeah. you know, w- without Mike on the floor, this, those guards are a lot less dangerous in transition and in the half-court set. Well,
1: and, I, and I think this, I, I just add, I'll add to what you just said. When Mike comes back, everybody who's played more minutes recently, like Hade and some of the big guys, I think if the chemistry gets back to where it was, they're actually actually going to be as good or better mm-hmm. because Jamie, Coach Dixon's had to play more guys lately yeah. to, look, to look for answers. And now Hade now can go back and just be a spark off the bench. And if he gives you that, you know, big night, like he's had a couple of different times this year, great. And it, does, and it also means you can rest Mike and not play him 38 minutes. So in some ways, an injury like this, and, and same with Eddie Lampkin on the front line, When they come back, when they get back into the flow and it may take a few games, they're actually a deeper team now than they were before those two guys got hurt. That might be the silver lining. And like last year, when they got to the tournament and should have got to the Sweet 16, we know about that. I think this team could have great success in March because they're going to be more built to handle adversity and they're going to be a deeper team.
0: Yeah, I, I think that's a great point when you already have such a veteran group and then you've asked these guys to step in, you know, you and you hope because it is such a veteran group, you mentioned earlier the mentality that they're kind of able to overcome and, and, and look forward. You segued me perfectly into kind of the final question. We are, you know, just a couple weeks from the start of March Madness, and I think that we were looking at an almost guaranteed top four seed for TCU two weeks ago, whereas now they're maybe on that bubble where they could fall between four and six. Where do you see TCU kind of landing in that season and how much is that going to matter? Or is this team, if they're healthy and playing well together, going to be able to overcome maybe a, a lower seed than anticipated?
1: Well, it's going to matter to the teams they play because once TCU is healthy, if they're a six seed, the three seeds going to be, this is not a typical six seed, you know, this yeah. is a, so that's that it's it actually an exchange way might help them early in the tournament, get through the first two rounds because they're probably, you know, if they, if they're seeded according to their record, they're going to be seeded five or six at the moment. I haven't seen Joe Lenardi today, what he's got. But my point is, we know that at when they're whole, they're a three or four seed. So again, this actually may help them in the tournament because they're going to be seated lower than we know they're capable of playing when they're whole. So I, I think right now, rather than worry about that, I think if you're a frogs fan, you got to say let's just play well the last two and a half, three weeks of the regular season. You know, let's get to let's get to the uh, tournament uh, in Kansas City. Let's get to the semis. Let's maybe get to the final. Let's have some momentum going into March. Uh, and then wherever they're seated, they're going to be tough to knock out. Um, I would be very disappointed if they're not a Sweet 16 team. And now once you get to the Sweet 16, they're certainly capable with their defense and Mike and the fast break. There's no reason. I, I would not be shocked if they're a Final Four team. But again, this is a year, Melissa. I could say that about fifteen teams.
0: Yeah, I think that's true, and I think that's too. Where where the Big Twelve being in the Big Twelve can help them a little bit, even if they aren't quite the have the record that people can look at yeah. and say, "Oh, the injuries." You know, you brought up one other thing that that I do want to ask you about. You know, we talk about the fast break points, twenty one points per game. When you get into March, you know, it's playoff basketball, right? It's the same thing you see in the NBA is teams want to slow the game down. Do you think TCU is going to be able to get out and run if they're healthy as effectively as they have in the regular season because they do play in in such a tough conference? Will that translate, or are they going to have to figure it out in the half court a little bit Well,
1: they'll have some – depending on who the matchup. But I'll tell you, like, the one thing about TCU, even like they've been built to grind it out. Yeah. You know, they can grind it out. Their defense grinds you out. Their offense in the half court with – guys that can get downhill, even in a half court, especially with an extra driver, like you mentioned with Mike back, but they'll also be able to get out and break a game open. And, and, you know, it could be a 47 all game. And then all of a sudden 10-0 run because, you know, miles and ball get out and get some easy baskets off their defense. So I don't know if they're going to average 21 fast break points a game in the, in the tournament, but I think that's a weapon that a lot of teams don't have. So I think the way this team is built, they're built to grunt to, to be in a slugfest in the half court and then also have the ability to get some fast break baskets that other teams can't get and break a game open. So I look at that as a total positive. And unless they, until they get to the sweet 16 and elite eight, I don't know that those lesser uh, seeded teams can slow TCU down.
0: Yeah. I think that's a great point. You know, even against Iowa state, they scored 59 points. They had a 10 O run and they had a 12 O run in that game. So without yeah. Mike and with a very limited Eddie, um Fran just such a pleasure to talk basketball with you I could literally do this all day yeah. but you got a lot on your plate so I, I'm going to let you go here I um, appreciate your time so much and all that you do for Big 12 basketball college basketball and especially TCU basketball where can people uh find you on social media and what what do you got coming up the next couple of days where they can listen to you call a
1: game well thank you for asking uh I'm at Fran Frischella uh my name got if you have to look it up you easy to google it but uh you know, I'm I'm prolific on Twitter. I like to put a lot of stuff out there, and especially Big 12 stuff, because right now that's my focus. I know all of college basketball, obviously, but this is the league I cover the most. So um, that's one place. And then uh, coming up, I head to, let's see, Manhattan, Kansas tomorrow for Iowa State, uh, K-State. Farmageddon,
0: uh, love it. Yeah,
1: another, uh, that's an old Big 8 war, you know. That's an old Big 8 war, two great rivals in the old Big 8. And then I'll be uh, with John Chami. Chris Budden will be in Fort Worth on Monday for the Kansas game. And then I get on a plane Tuesday morning early with very little prep and sleep and go right back to Manhattan for Baylor, K-State, the matchup of Jerome Tang and his mentor, Scott Drew. And then we get, we're get we getting ready for the Big 12. And uh, I'm, I'm excited. And if I'm, at, if I'm in Schallmeyer this, this Monday, come over and say hi. And uh, uh, I have a lot of friends at TCU living in Dallas for 19 years, we have a lot of our personal friends whose children have come to campus and have had great experiences. And uh, uh, I have a fondness for, uh, yeah, I can't, I can't really, I can't really, you know, I got to be neutral. Yeah. Uh, You you uh, can't admit
0: it, but if we cut you, you might bleed a little purple. You might bleed just a little bit of
1: purple. (laughs) Could be, could be, but uh, a lot of friends at TCU always love coming to campus.
0: Awesome. Well thank you so much for your time. We can't wait to, to hopefully people will be in the stands and not get to listen to you on the call, but I'll be I'll be sitting on my couch That's back okay. in California. Happy to happy to hear your voice over the airway. Switching between you and because you know gotta be loyal to the boss occasionally too.
1: You got it. You got it. <laughs>